I'll oh. just be looking. It's, Hello. it's right there. I'm Pete George, and we are live on Game Changers with Vicki Abelson. Our guest tonight is Bruce Valens. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, I have to fix this here because it'll make it. me crazy. That's good. Bruce. My mother's so dead. Someone has to do it. <laughs> oh, no. All right. open on that note. All right, so since we're talking about your mother, and just before we came live, yes. we were talking about Patterson, New Jersey. We were. Oh. Anybody there okay. from Patterson? So, um, we've got stuff going on. <laughs> we, wow, who's calling? We, they're, they're, no, it's an Amber Alert on... Uh, on everybody's on, phone? On uh, somebody's phone. On maybe everybody's phone. Probably. Is it coming it out on everybody's be. phone? Mine's on Do Not Disturb, so I don't think it could ah, come out on mine. It could be. I don't know. I, um, we, we need, we need that to stop. And, uh, we need the phone to go away. Talk about timing. But it's not Mom. buzzing. No. <laughs> what happened? Did somebody kidnap somebody? There's an amber yeah. alert. It's or okay. Is, you is unplug the internet. Trump okay. like <laughs> roll over in bed and lean on the button. So we are, we, you know, well, I, it's, we're not moving on mine, but it appears that we're live. You can't tell. It appears that we're praying. It, it, it appears that something is happening. Let me open another. Are we live, Pete? We are live. We're live and we're moving because we're, we're stopped Maybe. on this. We're, okay, so we're having uh, some internet issues, um, but we are very uh, we are very grateful to be here at Ron Frederick's house. Thanks, Ron. Hey, You're thanks, welcome. Ron. We're in West Hollywood because because Bruce doesn't like to travel to uh, <laughs> to La Cunada's too far to go. She's, far, she's out there. She's <laughs> a place where the golf course is on a hill. It's graduated. It, There's they have this weird country club there, which is like the golf course is like terraced, isn't it? I don't know. I don't play golf. I don't play I just golf watch either. People play and golf, I don't but go I those, thought, they don't let Jews in there. That's, that's right. That's yeah, the other reason. Yeah, they don't let Jews in places. I just thought like it was that. odd that you tee off and the ball goes over the side of a cliff. No, come on. You know, like somebody <laughs> into the next holes down there. It's very, like a big version of miniature golf. Isn't this fascinating? <laughs> All right, so let's talk about what's fascinating. So, so being a kid in, in Patterson, New Jersey, did you? Uh, how did that? How was that for you back then in the sixties? That it was uh, well, it, it was fun. I mean, I I had it was an amazing. I was different, you know. I was not an athletic kid, so uh, I had a, a vivid life of the mind, and uh, that meant I, I wasn't uh, you know all that popular because you know, the popular kids are the athletic kids, and mm -hmm. I was kind of like fat and ungainly, and uh, and but you were and funny. I was more interested. But I was funny. funny but I was more interested in adult things. And, Such uh, as uh, theater and the movies mm. and uh, reading and uh, all the the kind of anti-intellectual the intellectual stuff which they were all sort of like anti-intellectual you right. know but at the same time I liked all the like the pop that was happening you know all the pop culture and watching Dick Clark mm -hmm. on American Bandstand you know Dick Clark was so old <laughs> that he did a re a regression and discovered in the previous life he was Dick Clark. <laughs> Now, there are people who were just maybe too young to know what I'm talking about. You no, know, I think our audience probably but will get that show. Patterson was, it was, it was a stereotypical happy days kind of place. And, uh, and when I would go to my high school reunions and, and you know. You went? Oh, I've been, I go. Oh, come on. I, cause I, well, I, I liked the, I wound up in high, by the time I was in high school, I liked a lot of people. I was really You were probably friendly. popular by that. Were you doing, I was, because I was in the shows, shows and I was writing the school paper, so there I was. There you go. You were so popular. I was already a mock. So when, a mock, when, okay, so Bill Fun said that we big shot. look like sisters. What well, we look, we were <laughs> commenting that we both had the same, we went to the same blonde machine. Well, except yours is real and mine's mine not. Mine is yes, real, it's yours true. Is, but, yours is real. But, no, I mean, you know, of course. <laughs> 
I mean, this at my age at this point it would be white, but this was my actual child color, and it got uh, dirty blonde as I got older. And uh, around in the early eighties, I made a picture with Jane Fonda called "The Morning After." I love that movie. Uh, Sidney Lumet's only movie made in Hollywood, and I have one scene left. I play a bartender, and she comes towards the beginning of the movie mm -hmm. uh, to cash a check because I'm an old friend of hers. Okay. And uh, there was more, but it was a mystery that was never really mysterious. So when they tested it, the audience was unhappy. So they went back and shot a whole bunch of stuff to make it more mysterious. Uh -huh. And uh, it wound up doing very well because it was a character study for Jane. Right. And she played an alcoholic who uh, may have killed somebody. But she, she was in the haze when mm -hmm. she did the blackout. So, um, so she got an Oscar nomination for it. But uh, Yeah, she was wonderful. It was. And so... Uh, Sidney Lumet was directing it, and he had, uh, you know, was a famous New York director, and he had never done a picture in Hollywood. I didn't know and uh, when I went in to read for him, he said, "You're just what I'm looking for." He said, uh, "Do you mind going blonde for this?" I said, "Excuse me." He <laughs> said, "This is the only picture I'm ever going to make in Hollywood. I want everybody blonde." <laughs> So, I mean, the only person who got away with not being blonde was Raul Julia. Wow. <laughs> Jeff Bridges was blonde. Jane was blonde. Is that true? Jane, part of one of the plot points is Jane has to become, she either is a blonde who has to become a brunette or blonde. Uh -huh. I forget, vice versa. Uh, anyway, so I said, uh, I said, you're paying for it. Which way to the bottle? <laughs> and so that really? was that. And, I, and I, I never looked back. So I sent my mother pictures of myself. Yeah. Uh, when they did the first, the dye job. Uh -huh. And she said, oh, you're back to your original color. I said, what original color? She said, this, when you, when you were born, you were a towhead. You were a very, very blonde, blonde Nordic-looking person. Okay, so the real color was like a dirtyish blonde? No, it no. became dirty blonde. As I got older, it, yeah. it just it, it lost some yeah, of its yeah, yeah. platinum luster. Well, this absolutely seems And I ret retained it, and now I'm just like, I'm going out blonde. That's all I can tell you. So am I. <laughs> more fun. <laughs> It, it is, is more, more fun. fun. I mean, that ad campaign worked. It is more fun. It is more fun. Okay, so let's go back to how this all starts. So, yeah. Ben Patterson, you're you're an intellectual kid. Yes. Maybe not that popular, but always funny. I'm thinking you're always funny. Uh, Are your parents funny? My mother was hysterical. She was from a family of uh, people who were very funny. They were all characters. In mm -hmm. fact, she had uh, an uncle, my uncle... Mickey, who was uh, a vaudeville comic, and mm -hmm. he was a Catskills comic. He was not a successful Catskills comic. Mickey what? Mickey Landau. Uh, he was not successful, and uh, but everybody else in the family kind of you know buoyed him up, and uh, he was adorable. And so wait, funny. what does it mean? My father was a master of ceremonies in the Catskills. That's what oh? I'm asking you. So ah. what does it mean not to be a successful Borschville comic? Well. He never graduated beyond that circuit, and he mm -hmm. was not a star on the circuit. He Obviously. would open for, mm. you know, Alan Kate King, Smith. Yeah. Well, oh. <laughs> you know, I mean, he would open for uh, big singers and, uh -huh. and uh, Broadway types who played the Concord and the Gross Singers and the Neville right. and Browns and, and Kutchers. Um, but he never broke out on his own and became a, a star, headliner. A headliner. I guess. Uh, and... Uh, uh, and I don't know that he made a real living, you know, at it, because mm -hmm. he was a Catskills comic. And if you've uh, ever seen Billy Crystal's picture of Mr. Saturday Night, uh, who uh, about who, a guy who was a, uh, an old Catskills comic. I am in the original Buddy Young Jr. sketch on Saturday we'll Night see. Live. This is like a riff on Buddy Young, but yeah. but it, it's uh, it's different. And 
one of the, one of the wonderful moments of it is when he's he's talking to his agent about uh, this job, and he said, mm -hmm. "That was my winter." Yeah. The, that because that when the guys didn't have they had to find something to do in the so winter. So what did your uncle do? In the, my father was a Hebrew teacher. He worked. He do? worked for his brothers. Okay. Basically, my uncle, uh, my, his. His brother, my uncle Lou, my great uncle Lou, was in the baby furniture business, mm -hmm. and they, but he moved out to L.A., mm -hmm. and they were in Beverly Hills and doing very well in baby, selling baby furniture to stars. Nice. <laughs> baby furniture maker to the stars. Hey, but, look, if you're going to do it, why not do it to the I, stars? Absolutely right. Uh, so, and, and that's what, how they did that. But uh, when we got together, their, their side of the family was hilarious, and they were really, each one was a character. My father's side of the family was rather doer. He was a doctor, and they were, mm -hmm. and they were all uh, hardworking uh, German you know, immigrants, and they, they, uh, my, they, his mother was a doctor, his father was a doctor. Wow. They had a practice together, they were optometrists. Wow. And uh, my aunt was a, big, was a school teacher, but she was an activist. My aunt, whose name was Blanche Valanche, <laughs> they oh, gave her that at birth. That's why I, I, they were all, funny I, people. I wanted to meet them. Well, they were funny on the other side, but yeah. I mean, anybody who would do that to an infant, I thought, how can you name a kid Blanche like Valanche? But then, you know, they, there was uh, uh, my father had an, I had an uncle Max Sachs, so oh, maybe it was on. it was like a family thing. I don't know. It could be. So, so when did you know, were you always a funny kid? Like, did you know I, right away? I, uh, yeah, I made faces in the mirror and I, I acted well. I was a child actor. Mm -hmm. and, and my parents encouraged that because uh, I was happy doing it. So what did that mean when you were little? It meant that I slept to, to New York. My mother uh -huh. would take me to auditions and stuff. And I didn't, I got commercials and... Was it your choice or her choice? Oh, no, I wanted to do it. And, and uh, they recognized that it was what I wanted to do. And, and they supported I, you. Oh yeah, because I, I was happy doing that, and I wasn't terribly happy uh, with the kids I I knew because I was not totally accepted by them. I felt I Did probably you, was, but I but I it never felt that way. You know how your interior life is doesn't often mirror. Did you know when you were a little kid that you were gay? Uh, not when I was a little kid. But, but I, when did you but know? I don't know. I guess. It must have been ten or eleven, I suppose. I didn't know. I I didn't know I was gay. I knew that I liked uh, boys and girls, okay. and I was fascinated by all of that. Mm -hmm. And that actually holds true today. I just I, I realized that that I was uh, any girl I was interested in deserved better than some guy <laughs> who was going to go off and cruise the Greyhound station. <laughs> So I, I made a choice. When they say gay, it's a choice. I said, well, in my case, it was I chose to be authentic. I chose to be who I really am. Yes. But I'm not one. I'm not a gay man who is repelled who goes, by women, like, yes, and I can function with them. I just don't because it's a lot of trouble. <laughs> and I'm really, when it comes down to it, not that interested in them as I am interested in men. So uh, once I became. I, I, solidified that in my mind Which, it, it made life easier but i had girlfriends up to the end through through high school through college i had i was intensely uh in love with a girl in, in college and my parents were terrified i was going to go off and get married i was going to elope and get married what do you mean intentionally in love no intensely 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 it's the so 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 intensely in love i was i was crazy about her i was crazy i was crazy about a, another girl who i'm still very friendly with who married our we used to double, and, yeah. uh, and, and uh, she married the other guy. Uh, I was her date, and the other guy, uh, she was the one she married, and the other girl mm -hmm. uh, is a lesbian. <laughs> that works out. 
worked out well. And is married to a woman and lives in Vegas. <laughs> but it was just strange that we were like, that was our Saturday night. We were a double couple. We went to the movies together and dinners. and. So you did all that kind of normal, I did everything normal stuff. Uh, through, so, through college. and But in college, I was much more active with men. And eventually, uh, I had to tell this uh, the, this girl who I was crazy in love with that it was just not going to happen because uh, uh, I wasn't ready to, to you know, make a commitment to it, to anybody, mm-hmm. um, and especially not to a woman. There wasn't a man who was looking for it, but you know we were, we had talked about this, and I don't know, I don't know that she was you know intense on doing it either, but. It was a, it was you know something that we but, talked but about. But so that didn't impact that didn't impact you as a child. Not as a child, no. So so an outsider because you were not into sports. You were well. I was not into sports, and I was. But but I think that the, you know, when you're not into sports and you're not inter- interested in other things, the guys who are mm-hmm. and back then right uh, uh, used it to what we didn't call it bullying then. Uh, but it was bullying. <laughs> but uh, there was some there were, bullies were bullies. I mean, it was a, it wasn't the bullying was not aimed at your sexuality because there weren't any gay kids. Right. I mean, nobody was coming out and saying I'm gay. Right. This was before Stonewall. Uh, adults weren't coming out and saying they were gay. Right. So uh, it wasn't because of that. But it, they sensed that I was different. That they sensed that I was uh, um, not. You know, interested in the things they were interested in, so they would use that as a wedge. You know, they would. I mean, there was somebody to pick on. And how 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 did you handle that? Well, by telling them a joke. Okay. So that was by being funny. And did it work? I, oh yeah, Whoopi says it gives you a head start. Mm-hmm. You you can run. <laughs> I say it does. It it. I had used to have a phrase I use in the movie about me. Get Bruce. I say I tell a story about. Uh, I forget what the phrase is I use. And she said, you mean, what he means is, you get to run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you get a head start. Okay, so so you're a little kid, you go into auditions, what, what's the first gig, what, what do you score? What's your score? Wow, uh, I was a, a child model. I did something uh, where I didn't have to speak. Uh, yeah. It was uh, Lane Bryant. Oh, I love it. Which was uh, a store devoted to plus size women. Yes, mm-hmm. And, uh, but it's plus size women. What were you doing in there? Because they had a child's line. Ah. They started a children's line mm-hmm. called. Uh, Refreshing. What was it called? Uh, originally, uh, Stylus Stouts was. was <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the names. That's just. Uh, and they had something. Uh, I forget what there was. Something else. It was before Stylus Stouts, but um, and there was a, an ad campaign, and mm-hmm. I, I'm looking for this photo. Uh, it was me and another guy, another sort of Jewish-looking kid, and we were... I didn't know Jewish-looking people even got into commercials. Well, here was the, this was the, okay. the idea. There were these two ethnic types, okay. and we were on like a couch, mm-hmm. and in between us was Carol Lindley, who was the six of, of God. Yeah. <laughs> totally. And looking gorgeous. And the message was, if, if you put your fat kid, your fat Jewish kid... In Lane Bryant clothings, in fabulous fats or whatever it was, uh, they will attract this this gorgeous this goddess beauty. And I am so appalled by this when right I think now. About it, I know when it's I think horrible. about it, it was the idea. Uh, the idea. I mean, I, I think I don't think that they they do. I think it was just different people who were not obviously not 
Like, Chicks are gorgeous. Yeah, who weren't like well bred. Yeah. Wasn't two guys named Skyler and Chadsworth. <laughs> two neighborhood looking guys. And yeah. at the time I looked like that. I looked like uh-huh. William Bendix from Life of Riley. I had I, I bore a strong resemblance to him. Now for those of you no. What? Uh, uh, well, he's well, in a million uh, movies, yeah. but that was his, his TV yes. show, which made him, like a lot of, uh, of character actors in movies, when TV came in and mm-hmm. they, they moved over to TV and became huge stars, which they'd never been in pictures mm-hmm. because they were character actors. Right. So uh, William Bendix is one of those. And we used to say, you look like William Bendix. And then later on, uh, we refined that to Peter Ustinov. Who I also resembled, and who I got to know, and who said, really? yes, "You are my long lost son." What? What was her name? <laughs> that woman. Oh. So okay, so so you're doing commercials. You're yes. are you good? You must be a good student in school because you're mm. you're reading and you're writing and you're. I was. I was terrible in math. Oh, I had the traditional English majors thing. I, I mean, I would go. Uh, I would, SATs, they would say, if you get a thousand, you can get in most anywhere. I said, yeah, not if it's 700 in math, in English, and 300 in math. Yes. So, um, but I was just terrible. I just, you know, couldn't make change. And (laughs) (laughs) it was just sad. I had tutors who would run screaming, pulling their hair, (laughs) because I just couldn't get, to this day, I just don't get it. I have accountants, you know, I have people (laughs) who, who do math for me. That's very good. Um, I can do the the adding and subtracting. I just couldn't do the the equations. I mean, geometry was beyond my. Well, the art standard thing was. Am I going to use this calculus crap in my real life? How many of you, you know, have used algebra on a daily basis? It was always that was a joke, and it was it was then the, the people who went on to be rocket scientists say, "Well, I do." Yeah, that's that was not uh, no. That was so. I had I had that. So I. Uh, when I graduated high school, I went to Ohio State because mm-hmm. uh, I could get in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to go other places. I wanted to go to Carnegie, mm-hmm. uh, but you had to have good math, and and you had to. In order, I mean, I know these actors who have good math. I'm scared of them. <laughs> I'm absolutely terrified. And I had friends who went to Carnegie. Northwestern was another place mm-hmm. we had to have good math yes. to to be in the theater program, mm-hmm. which I, to this day do not understand, because there's so many like actors who lose all their money. <laughs> I'll never understand. So, so I went to Ohio State and mm-hmm. uh, uh, I. Did they have the drama department? They did. Mm-hmm. They did. They had a very good one, uh, and they also it, it, they had uh, a good theater and they had a good uh, journalism department. So I was a journalist. My parents wanted me to have a journalism major because they thought newspapers will never go out. You know, they didn't anticipate. Uh, the, Nobody knew what the internet there the was. Inter- no, that yeah. the internet was going. All right, so wait, let's go back to this. When, when did you start writing? When did you realize that? I started writing when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. I guess I was the editor of the the Criterion, mm-hmm. which was the East Side High School paper, the Lean on Me High School. Morgan Freeman. Really? Uh, yeah, playing our principal, Jolton Joe Clark, who was the one with the baseball bat. Although he was later. He uh, I left. By the time I left, it was before the heavy drugs came in and before. Okay, wait, stop. Let's go there. Did you, were you? Was that your Was that your world for a time? What heavy drugs? No, no, no. I mean, I did drugs. Like you I doubt. mean, I was a child of the sixties. Yeah. I did did all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, after like Sergeant Pepper, things got much heavier. And I was in college by then because mm-hmm. I'm very old. So <laughs> when I got. I, you know, when I when I graduated high school in 1965, mm-hmm. um, the the heavy stuff hadn't come in yet. 
And it all happened later on during Vietnam. Right. Well, but I was in were college you, by were then. You, um, uh, it, did you have a number? A yes, lottery number? I, I did. It what was, was your... Uh, it was it was like one fifty six something like that. I and think that's so that I think that was it. it. Well, it was it came close. Really? Um, yeah, I remember because it was the same as the exit on the Garden State Parkway. <laughs> <laughs> that's the Patterson exit one fifty six, and that was also my draft number. Uh, I didn't have to. Uh, I I was called up. Absolutely called up. Did and, you have a plan? Well, I, first of all, I was still in college mm-hmm. when I was called up, and I, was, uh, I had a student deferment. Right. And uh, if, you, if you left college, you immediately got a 1A, and right. you, uh, you were called up. Mm-hmm. And, but I was called up, and you had to go do the physical and all that, and I, I said to my, uh, my parents, I'm going to check the box. And what that meant was there was a questionnaire, mm-hmm. and they asked you various things, and one of the questions was, are you a practicing homosexual? And uh, I was going to check the box, and if you did that, you, uh, you would automatically got a, a discharge, but it was not an honorable one. You were uh-huh. 4F, but for, not for good reasons, and that was noted. So, uh, and whoever saw that would know that. Did well, that if you follow went, you anywhere? Uh, everywhere. I mean, if, yeah. you, if you applied for a government job, I mean, mm-hmm. when they asked for your service record, mm-hmm. uh, it would, that was on your service record. Mm-hmm. And my parents said, that's kind of drastic, don't you think? And I said, well, A, it's true, and B, uh, I don't want to ever have to uh, ask for a job someplace where that's going to disqualify me. I don't want to work there or with those people anyway. Good. So uh, I went in and I did it, and I checked the box, and... Uh, uh, then they, they, when they look at it, they go, mm, 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 girl, <laughs> to bye. To see if you look no, gay? No, <laughs> they just kind of, mm, well, because a lot of guys were faking it. And they right. didn't realize what the consequences were. Mm-hmm. So they, uh, or they were willing to live with them. I don't know, a lot of straight guys were faking it. Mm-hmm. So they take you off to a side room to see the shrink. And the shrink looks at the thing and says, are you a practicing homosexual? And I said, no, I've got it down. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry about me and then they start asking you really gross questions oh come on yeah like really what? like well just about what? sexual practices they want to see if you're for real so they want it they want to know what you've done sexually and they start asking you to describe things it's kind of like what they what they would do with with uh, a green card marriages right right where they separate the couple and mm-hmm. they ask them each other about uh, what side of the bed does he sleep on and a, well with this one it was like you know are you a pitcher are you a catcher you know that kind of stuff <laughs> and in details I mean wow. in, yeah, and this doctor did they have the lingo yeah, oh they had, they had rehearsed they 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 were practiced they were practiced they had it down <laughs> they had it yeah. down. And so I answered all the questions to their satisfaction. I was watching the shrink pale because he was an army shrink. So you did know. you give him a, a couple of nice details? Yeah, um, juicy, absolutely. <laughs> One of them involved juice, but that's not story. And uh, and so he uh, and then then he gives you after that he mm-hmm. he uh, he gives you the the talk about you know this will be on your record and all that kind of stuff and how do you feel about that. And what was to, your response to that? I, what I had said Did to you, you say I, I said the same thing. Good. And he said, well, okay, mm-hmm. you, you know, kind of, you're brave and good for you. And, mm-hmm. and I think they said, we're missing out on something because you're obviously a brave guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, we can ah. use a brave guy. And I said, Isn't yeah, that but, interesting. Right. but thank you. But 
can I go now? Uh, and But there are a lot of, you know, straight guys who they can't answer those questions, and so they say, you're faking this, aren't you? You know, it's kind of like the guys who drink boiling water before they had their temperature taken. And, you know, I mean, there were all these little things you could do right. to, that, that were, you know, to disqualify yourself. And did it ever come up in your life? No. That record? Of no. no. Yeah. No, because basically the war was already almost over. The lottery folded up shortly after that. Right. And uh, so it never it never got farther than that. And uh, uh, and I I, I I never it, maybe somebody I don't know I went to the Chicago Tribune after college mm-hmm. and I they and that was a kind of like a right wing. Bastion. It was, uh, you know, owned still owned by the McCormick family, mm-hmm. uh, and they were very right wing. And um, th- I was the first. Uh, I said I was the first person in the history of the Tribune to ask for Young Kipper off. <laughs> Did they give it to they you? Had, uh, they had to look it up. <laughs> yeah. sure. I mean, it was unbelievably. It, it was crazy right wing. How did you get that job? I wrote, actually, I wrote a letter to the New York Times about a movie, The Graduate. And I wrote a letter uh, because I forget that there was a critic on the Times who had said something. And I thought, I was the critic for the Ohio State Lantern, Circulation 50,000. Okay. And uh, so I was hot, I was hot spit. And I, uh, uh, I said, I don't, I don't know that he got it. I mean, from the point, and I'm uh, the point of view of somebody who was, the age of the character that Dustin Hoffman played, yes. which even Dustin Hoffman wasn't. Right. <laughs> yeah, he and Anne Bancroft were only a few years apart, like three years or something, not many. Really? Yeah. I didn't know it was that. She was only like in her 30s when she did that. Yeah. I'm not surprised. Yeah. Um, he was, uh, so I wrote this letter, and they published it in the Sunday Times, mm-hmm. and uh, nice. uh, they used to run letters then. They mm-hmm. don't run letters anymore in the arts and leisure section, which we called the theater section mm-hmm. back then. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, a guy, an editor at the Miami Herald saw it. And uh, he said, you want to come intern at the Miami Herald? And uh, wow. his name is 91 years old. His name is Larry Jinx. His son is Dan Jinx, who produced American Beauty and won an Oscar for it and is a, a, a big, big time producer. So wait, this happened from a letter? This happened the... from a letter to the Times. I got my job to the New York Times. That used to be their ad campaign. That's right. And was that was how that happened. And then wow. after the internship, uh, I did another internship with the Detroit Free Press. So wait, wait, before you go on with your, your career, did you know going, did you decide I want to be a journalist? Because you were acting. No, I wanted a job. Okay. I, I wanted to be an actor, but mm-hmm. I, I found that when I would audition for things, mm-hmm. uh, I, I was... Uh, what kind of stuff were you going up for? I was going up for uh, plays and movies and, I mean, just character parts because right. I looked older, I had a deep voice, mm-hmm. uh, and I was heavy by then. And uh, so I would walk in the room and there would be Jimmy Coco and Paul Sorvino oh, and wow. Richard Castellano. Mm-hmm. And these were all character actors who were older, heavier, uh, and more experienced than I was. And I was, you know, a, a kid. Mm-hmm. I did a lot of summer stock and a lot of stuff where I played older parts. So I was accustomed to carrying myself as an, as an old. And I used to say I was born 40 because I looked much older than I was. <laughs> when I look back at photos now, I think to myself, you are kidding yourself. Now, you know, I was like, well, you look like a kid. But, you know, I think back then I really did because I uh, didn't get a lot of stuff. And I think because I was, you know, faking it. And um, 
so I thought, okay, I'll, I'll go be a journalist and I'll get in that way. Uh, and I'll grow into myself as an, uh, as an actor. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, uh, I went for a job at, at Chicago Tribune and they took me and, and... And what kind of stuff were you writing? I was a feature writer. Mm -hmm. I, I interviewed everybody who came through town and uh, like Rex Reed, and I was also the second string, I was, uh, uh, Gene Siskel was the film critic, I was the second string film critic, which meant I got to see all the pieces of shit that he didn't want to uh, <laughs> review. Uh, I was the uh, second string drama critic, and I was also the, I was the first rock critic that they had, but then uh, there was a woman named Linda Major who was uh, a real rocker, mm -hmm. and she got that, so they sent me to nightclubs and things, and I reviewed a lot of people, and that is where I met Bette Midler who was an, uh, an opening act. She came out in, and a friend of mine was managing her. Mm -hmm. And uh, he asked me to go look at her and I thought she was amazing. And uh, uh, I interviewed her. I wrote a review and I praised her and I interviewed her and the next day she called and said, that's a very funny interview, you're, you're a funny writer. And I said, well, you're funny, you should talk more on stage. And she said, you got any lines? And that was the beginning. Okay, so From now the Paleozoic period. So, I, I'm, you know, Ron, I'm thinking maybe we should close the door because I'm hearing the traffic, and I don't know if they can hear it online. Ah. But um, I don't know, and I'm hoping that we're still online because it's not showing me what we're doing. Do, does anybody know? Can you see on your phone? Yeah, we're online. We're, it's, we're live. Once in a while, it gets a little slow. Really? But it's maybe it's, those two satellites are colliding. <laughs> is that what it is? supposed to happen tonight? Um, yeah, I can't... Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. But I think it's under control. Mm -hmm. they, they, there may be a near miss. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure what kind of satellites they were, but, uh, I mean, they're up there. <laughs> um, so, okay, so, Bet. So, had you yeah. written jokes before? I had written a couple of things for Kay Ballard. Okay, how'd that happen? She played Mr. Kelly's, which was a club in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, I interviewed her, and we had a great time. And she asked me for material. She said, "You have anything?" She cultivated a lot of young writers. She cultivated Candor and Ebb, who wrote Cabaret in Chicago. Wow. They wrote their first stuff for her, their special musical material for her. And of course, they wrote all of Liza Minnelli's shows. And uh, that Kay started them. She started a, a bunch of other people. Okay, so I'm curious about this, how you start, I, I was married to a joke writer, he was Letterman's head monologue writer, so I'm... I'm Which, who was that? Gabe, Gabe Abelson. Oh, okay. And, oh, an Abelson. Yeah. Uh -huh. He was there when Chef left for a while. Ah, uh, you didn't have jewelers in, in Jersey, did you? No, no jewelers no. in Jersey. They were all... Uh, there was um, Abelsons in They were in philosophers and, and rebels. I grew and up. Mikey things. Abelson was a friend of mine. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so, so... I know his process of how he writes a joke. How did you, how did oh, you wow. do, what, a do you remember what your first joke was? No. So, do you remember how, like how, if, when she said, okay, write for me, what did that spark in you? Well, Where did you go? It always, with her, with, with a lot of the people I write for, it, it, it centered around the music. Okay. Uh, she had songs that she had to connect on stage somehow, so it, it became that. Mm -hmm. became stuff about those in, those songs, the stuff that would lead you into those songs. And also, uh, she was on tour, and I would find out what was happening in the city, and we'd, we'd write jokes about that city. And we, uh, earlier, there was a, a, a woman named Dorothy Fulltime in Cleveland, for example, who mm -hmm. was the local editorialist on television. And she was uh, a Barbara Bush kind of character, and she oh was my. just full of hot air. But also, she, I mean, she was a good lefty, I thought. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, 
she was great to make fun of. So there would be one of those in every town. There uh-huh. would be there was always a scandal involving local people. So and was so, it a collaborative thing? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. They've you, always the, been collaborative. The, mm-hmm. I mean, if I didn't want to collaborate, I would be Neil Simon, you know, who who takes all of that and puts it in plays mm-hmm. and creates characters mm-hmm. and gives them voices. But I was having fun collaborating. I'm, uh, he wasn't terribly social. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was prolific, but he wasn't terribly social. He was very nice. I mean, I liked him. We were friends, and he gave me great advice as I went along. Really? Yeah, he was really terrific. Like in what way? Yeah, just writing, writer-to-writer advice. I mean, mm-hmm. he would, uh, uh, he said, uh, never finish anything. He said, get up, and so you have a place to start when you sit down again. Never, so you never have to face a blank page. Wow. Or later on, screen. Uh, and he said, that's how I'm prolific. He said, because by the I don't finish it. I come and I sit down, and then I finish it and start something else while I'm there uh-huh. in the in the the run of the thing in the flow in mm-hmm. the flow and uh, and keep going. And that has served me in very good stead. That is really interesting. Yes. Why are you writers out there? Yes, I'm listening. I, I like that a lot. This seminar is for my TED talk is for you. <laughs> the blank page is scary. Um, oh yeah. So, so joke right. So you went from being a journalist. To writing jokes in your journalism, were you funny? Yeah, because uh, uh, I, I I had latitude. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wasn't one of those journalists who was like just the facts. I was uh, uh, I was writing about people and things, and so a lot of uh, time the the paper turned me into a kind of a stuntman. I would do things. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, uh, tried to break into the Guinness Book of Records. By? By, well, fun, I was going to have the record for eating uh, donuts. <laughs> how many was How many was? I forget before? because I, I threw up and I, I couldn't make it all the way through because donuts expand after yeah. you eat them. I learned this. I tried the world record for, I did have the record, finally. Well, I tried the, uh, uh, the world's uh, largest pizza we were going to bake. But that was a big professional job. Um, I finally did have hold the record for walking sideways. Oh come on! There, there, there was a record, and I broke it, and we 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 covered it. It was a big deal in Chicago. I walked from the Tribune Tower to the Water Tower, which was in Chicago. Far? I was a, a, a mile maybe, uh, and sideways, which is harder than you think because you, you because at any moment you can fall over if you're walking too fast. And it was a muddy track. So, but we had cameras. There was a chopper overhead from the Tribune's TV station that was covered. This, I mean, it was that kind of stuff. And were, so you got into the Guinness. I was it. Got into the Guinness Book. It turns out that all you have to do to get into the Guinness Book. This is back then. I'm not okay. sure now because then it was run by the Guinness Twins, mm-hmm. with these two guys who compiled records, mm-hmm. and it was a promotion for Guinness. For Guinness Stout and Guinness Ale, I it was never all concocted as a promotion, okay. and uh, but it took on a life of its own. Right. Obviously, now people who've never heard of Guinness Stout right. know about the Guinness Book. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, uh, uh, if you had a pr- a coverage, if you proof that was proof for them okay. that you had done this thing, if you had gotten. A, a, a paper, a newspaper like the Chicago Tribune, to say he did it, then that was enough for them, and they put it in the book. Ah. And I, since nobody else, there was no other record. There was a record for walking. There was a record for walking backwards. <laughs> there were all kinds of no sideways. I did due diligence on this, 
And uh, so we did the, uh, and for years I held the record for Walking Side. I think. <laughs> and somebody bested your record? Nobody, be oh. nobody tried because, okay. <laughs> you know, technology brought in more stuff that they wanted to do, you know. Uh, so you just like, they took you out because it wasn't. I think they edited, <laughs> they edited me out after a while because nobody was uh, challenging me. Because so. <laughs> I, I think we should the, try to challenge or that. Or the donut eater. <laughs> e donut eating either. It was. Uh, I, I did the record for the most number of omelets you could make uh, in, uh, could make? in in an hour or in 10 minutes. I forget what it was. Yeah, because there was a record. There was some French chef and then I made 7 million omelets. So we, I started making omelets and uh, and this, you know, it was this incredible waste of, of food. So we were like giving omelets away. Said, Come down to the trip and we'll get omelets. We're making omelets for you. We were, people were taking truckloads of omelets and reheating them taking them to schools and stuff. So this was just about, was it for fun? This was for fun? This was, they were circulation boosters. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was, you know, that even back then, mm -hmm. uh, before the internet, people were getting out of the habit of reading newspapers because they would see mm -hmm. their, the news on television. Right. And so all the newspapers were suffering and anything you could do to get people to buy the paper mm -hmm. uh, was considered a good thing. Now, I mean, it wasn't, it was, not something on the front page. They would tease it, and you'd go inside right, right. Uh, to find the thing. But uh, you know that lasted for a while. The other one that was a big one was um, it was called uh, Mr. Mommy, and uh, I traded places with a suburban housewife for a week. <laughs> she became the uh, rock critic for the Tribune for a week, and I went and took care of her husband and her kids. You were so and, way ahead of the of, of the thing and, there. And uh, John Hughes was a copywriter for an ad agency in Chicago. And years later, when I met him in L.A., he said, "You know, I stole your idea." Come on, Mr. Mom he was said, from that. He said that's what there. He said I was inspired by the Mr. Mommy. It was a week long thing that I did. I, I covered it. Oh, that gives a whole new and slant so, to Michael Keaton. And film. so I said, "Where's my piece? Where's my?" But I, I mean, at wow. that point, it was like you know, I had I had a feeling I was not the first person. To, I mean, so were they role reversal. Were was they a, chronicling was a, you throughout? the Yes, day? I was writing it every week. Oh, I, you was, were writing. I was writing every day. Uh -huh. uh, I was writing what happened. Yes, actually, it was on a week delay because I we did it and then I came back because she we had to write with her thing too because she was not a writer. Right. So we had to I had to write uh, so both, you, both sides of it because what uh, she was having a great time. She what was, was she doing? She was just going. She was living in my apartment, taking care of two Siamese cats, <laughs> and answering the phone and getting the most obscene phone calls from friends of mine. <laughs> Terrible, and uh, and mostly checking up on her kids, and then. I was down there, and about a month after the whole thing had aired, mm -hmm. uh, one of her kids ran away from home to my place, <laughs> bonded with me. This was this was like the gay kid at that point. Uh, you could tell. Okay. And of course, the paper went crazy because they said, "Oh my God, you can't have a minor living in your apartment with you." And it's like, get him, get rid of him. Get I said, you know, I said, well, uh, you know, I had told him he could come it would be a safe place and so I took him back and we it was a good thing because we all got to sit down and negotiate not negotiate but 
bring him back to the family and, and finally, it was like an intervention, wow. to talk to the family about what was going on with this kid. Well, what year was this approximately? This was like 1972. So nobody's talking about this stuff no, then. No, but, yeah. no, but there had been Stonewall in 69, but, mm-hmm. but not in Blue Island, Illinois, yeah, which yeah, was yeah. The, the suburb where, we, uh, where they, they lived. They were very nice people. I mean, they really were nice people, and she was very hip and fun. So it wasn't hard to do this, right? You know, but it was uh, it was a twist I didn't think would have was going to happen. And if I had done a, if I had written the movie, that would have been in. That, <laughs> yes. that was not. That would have been a good twist yeah. in the movie. So okay, so you're writing you you so Kay Ballard, you do a review on her show, and that's how you. Uh, I didn't review her. Somebody else reviewed her. I uh, I interviewed her. I was a huge fan. I mean, I, I was a, a fan from Broadway mm-hmm. and uh, television. Did she, you did you go to Broadway shows when you were a kid? Did oh, your parents take you? Yeah. My father invested in shows. He, oh. he loved musicals. Oh. My mother always wanted to be in them, and uh, mm-hmm. she, she just never became a star, but she, she gave it up when she married him. But she was a real uh, stage door. I mean, she just didn't was she a stage her. mom for you? Uh, not, not really. Mm-hmm. She was, uh, you know, she, she didn't push. Uh, no, she was. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was. This was not going to live her life through through me. Uh, she wanted me to be to be that, but she was very well adjusted that way. She was controlling, and you know, but that was what mother isn't to a degree. <laughs> well, um, I'll show you my book later. The okay, title. Yeah. Well, so what? Um. What was the first Broadway show you saw? Do you remember? Yes, it was The Vamp. It was a flop musical starring Carol Channing. It was her big flop. I've never and, even heard of it. And whenever I would mention it, when I, uh, mm-hmm. in later years, we were friends, and she would say, why do you keep bringing up that turkey? <laughs> that was a good impression. <laughs> <laughs> but it was the first, I mean, to me, it was spectacular. I never. I mean, she was like an apparition. I mean, these huge eyes and... Mm. The lips and everybody was pink. It was it was gorgeous. I mean, it was the sets moved. Mm. I mean, I, I just I, I want to live in this world. It was a musical about a girl who's like a clerk and goes to Hollywood and becomes the vamp. Mm. It was loosely based on Theda Vara, mm-hmm. who was a big star of silent pictures, and her real name was something like Velma Zelinsky, <laughs> and uh, they made her a star. And she was the she played Cleopatra, and so she that look is the original. Uh, uh, look that all the Cleopatras have, have taken. Oh, on. really? Yeah, and she mm-hmm. but she did one of the, one role after another of of an exotic foreign <laughs> seductress, <laughs> and that was what Carol played in the oh. show was was that that character that woman, and of course it was a comedy ab- about that, so she was very funny in it, but it, it didn't last. That was the first. What was the first musical you were in? Uh, the first musical that's. Uh, the first musical I was in was probably South Pacific, uh, but it was a, you know a, a summer stock production mm-hmm. of South Pacific. Actually, it was at a, uh, at first it was Oklahoma. I'm sorry, I forgot. I was in Oklahoma, but that was a, 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 I went to a summer camp mm-hmm. that was run by Ted Mack. Ted, Ted Mack, Mack's amateur hour. The amateur. Ted Mack was like the Simon Cowell. And, uh, Where was it? It was in Great Barrington, Massachusetts, in the Berkshires. And how on old the were you? Of, like, I was nine. Uh, wow. And uh, it was uh, it was fame in the Berkshires. It was a lot of talented kids uh-huh. and a lot of kids of celebrities. Uh, Frank Lesser's daughter was there, Sue mm-hmm. Lesser, and 
Um, there was a, a ventriloquist named Paul Winchell who was a big I TV star. I remember Paul Winchell very well. And his his daughter Corky was uh-huh. was there. So it was like a rival to like Stage Door. I think the one. Very, that's, uh, like yeah. That? It was, well, that was a little previous. The uh, where okay. Danny Kaye went. You know. Wow. That was Tamament. Mm-hmm. That was before that. But it was uh, it was a camp, and we did shows and outdoor in the big theater, and uh, it was. Great! It was great fun, but I uh, I loved it because there were a lot of theater kids, mm-hmm. a lot of people who were like me, who were like theater geeks, and they were kids and weren't conventional kids. I mean, because we were in the Berkshires and we were a member of the of a camp association of all the, there were a lot of summer mm-hmm. camps around it, and um, we had a softball team. <laughs> Because we had to, that was part of the thing of being part of the camp association, and we were. They loved us because they creamed us. Every other camp creamed us. The only camp that we beat was the Falkeen Ballet Camp, <laughs> which was all girls. No, it was, no. It was all. Yeah. It was all little boys, little, little faggy boys. It was. You know, it, we had some on our team too, but I mean, they were all the dancers, you know, and they were terrible. You know, they were playing. They all were in right field. <laughs> yeah, that's where you put the lousiest guy. Right field was my turf. And you'd go out there and there'd be six ballet dancers in right field like this. Don't don't hit out here. So so, so that was where I did Oklahoma and it was uh um it was incredible. And in fact, uh Frank Lesser mm-hmm. came to, up to visit to, wow. and uh to visit his daughter and he stayed because he decided he wanted to teach some classes. And uh, wow. he was uh, he was amazing, and he. Uh, did you I, take any of his classes? I, I yeah, I did, but they were mostly about. Uh, they weren't about uh, act. He didn't want about acting in musicals. That was great, except mm-hmm. you know, he was a writer, and uh, uh, so he. It was mostly for people who wanted to write, be songwriters or, mm-hmm. or librettists, which I didn't know I wanted to be at the time. Mm-hmm. And but the amazing part was when he wasn't teaching, he was hanging out. And he was writing the score for a show called Green Willow, which uh, was a very sweet musical that starred Anthony Perkins mm. and was not a hit. And, uh, but he was writing and he didn't read music, Frank Lesser. Wow. Which was amazing to me. He would mm-hmm. sit at the piano mm-hmm. and he would hum the song and he had a guy who would play and you go, yeah, and then the guy would write wow. the thing. And uh, um, it, it was amazing to watch this process. And he wrote a song that Barbara Streisand sang on her first album for the show. It was called Never Will I Marry. It was, it's a gorgeous song. And uh, Tony Perkins sang it. Wow. <laughs> Which at the time everyone thought, no, never will he marry. But <laughs> he eventually did marry some, a girl I knew, Barry Berenson. And, wow. uh, um, many, many years later. But that was like the takeaway from the Ted Mack camp. And also Ted Mack who was a sweet, a wonderful, warm guy and really loved all these people on the Ted Mack Amateur Hour, mm-hmm. which was a weekly show, and we would go into the city and watch it live every, every whatever night of the week it was on. Wow. But it was, he was famous for uh, telling Elvis he couldn't, he couldn't be on the show because he was His too hits? sexy. Yeah. yeah, he was too <laughs> sexy. And then, and then uh, Anne Margaret was on the show. And Margaret, uh, and she sang Them Their Eyes, and she mm-hmm. was very hot. Mm-hmm. And uh, she lost to a woman. She lost? She lost to a woman who played Lady of Spain on the leaf. 
for the lead. <laughs> she won. Unbelievable. It's like America's Got Talent now, you know, it's where you, where, you know, they they bring those acts on and they take them to a certain point when you realize that you can't take this act to Vegas <laughs> and build a show around it. It's you know, it's it's a it, it's you and your poodle. Yeah. It's like basically you have to have some other thing and. Oh yeah, yeah. So, did you always sing? I always sang. Yeah, I, I wasn't. Did trained. you study? I was going to say. Not really. Uh-huh. I took, you know, in college mm-hmm. I did, and uh, but I no, I never really actively trained. I had, uh, or, or as a dancer, I was an I was eccentric say, that was dancer, my next and uh, <laughs> they call eccentric dancing, and uh, and I sing, and you know, I can stay on key and all that, and. Uh, so when I did Hairspray, yeah. they said, do you sing? I said, well, I sing as well as Harvey Firestein. So, <laughs> Let me say sound like this, everything. That was very low key. He sings all of it. And he shares his key with the Arthur. They sing way down there. So I, uh, uh, I could sing the, those, those songs. But I can, I, no, I, I can sing. I can't sing. And I, when I got Hairspray, mm-hmm. I then went to Eric Vitra, who was the great coach, mm-hmm. and uh, because I wanted to be able to do it eight times a week, right? and I didn't want to you know, lose my voice, I didn't know, I needed to learn technique, mm-hmm. and he taught me technique, which is And is it some, has it stayed with you? Oh yeah, absolutely, mm-hmm. sure. Those things don't go away. I mean, uh, you yeah, know, I mean, it's, it's, I, it's not like you know a living. I mean, it's not like you know when you know when you're with a real singer, you go out and they've got seven scarves, you know, like Pavarotti always with the scarves because they you know there's, you have to take care of the instrument. I mean, it's the real thing. So no, I've never been that kind of a, of a singer. So okay, so you you're in camp. You become okay, but you veer. Was it a disappointment to be a journalist when you wanted to be an actor, or were you good with it? Uh, it was it was kind of a disappointment. I, I mean, I was good being a journalist, but but uh, I, I didn't want to. Necess- I wanted to be a writer, but not necessarily a journalist. And so after five years of that, um, I got a TV show and came out here. Uh, How did that happen? Yeah, Bet had a dresser uh, who had a brother mm-hmm. who had started a, the Manhattan Transfer, Tim Hauser mm-hmm. and. Uh, uh, Bet loved them, and Fayette, who was uh, Tim's sister, kept watching, you know, go see them, go see them. So they, um, uh, they put an act together, and they got a record deal. Mm-hmm. Bet brought Ahmed Erdogan in, and Ahmed signed him to Atlantic. And then we, they put a show together and um, showed it to Fred Silverman, who was running CBS, mm-hmm. and he bought them for a summer television series. And I came out here to write it. Because they used to have those summer TV variety shows right. to replace the variety shows that were on. He, he replaced Cher, uh, who I've written for also for over the years. And I came out and I stayed. Uh, I did. We only did four of them, and it got great reviews, mm-hmm. terrible ratings, but great reviews. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I began getting work. I was considered too hip. I was very hip because mm-hmm. they were hip, and so I had to find, I had to find my way. I had to do stuff that was not considered hip. <laughs> And you've written for like everybody. So, yeah. w- what is it about getting into so- you just ha- get into somebody's head? You just well, you know, as I said earlier, uh, with Neil Simon, who mm-hmm. had, a playwright has to create those voices. Mm-hmm. I was lucky in that I had those voices to listen to, and I would, you know, I did my homework, mm-hmm. and I could adapt what I was writing to them. Uh, 
it was kind of like, instead of Neil Simon, I kind of became Bob Mackey, you know, because he looks at you and he says, okay, you're short-waisted or you're not short, mm -hmm. you know, you have huge jugs, so I don't have to do that, that, you know, I don't have to pad you there, uh, I think the A-line is good for you, I mean, it's, it's, it's like couture, mm -hmm. only with words, mm -hmm. and, um, and I discovered that I was good at that. And so, what what was your like daily process? What is your daily like for your joke writing? Yeah, you know, I don't have a daily process because it it really depends on what I'm doing, and that's one of the joys of of what I do is that I I've always been able to avoid the daily grind because every day presents a different sort of <laughs> challenge. Okay, so let's say you let's say when you're writing for the Oscars and yeah. you have how much time do you have to? Well, it it used to be more. I mean, ultimately, everything is decided when the nominations come out. Mm -hmm. uh, they used to give honorary awards on the show. Mm -hmm. They now give them at a separate ceremony in November, and they, they run a, a minute right. on the uh, broadcast. Uh, it used to be that when they would announce those things, you could put that stuff together ahead of time. I mean, you would basically, they would have the show in place by October. They knew, would know who was hosting it and they would know who the honorary winners were. And then bas basically when the uh, nominations came out in January or, or February, because the show would generally be the beginning of March, mm -hmm. um, that's when you would know who was going to be a part of it and, and who would be on the show and what pictures had been, had been snubbed, my favorite word, mm -hmm. or just hadn't, you know, hadn't shown up in the, in the, in the nominees. Uh, and uh, for example, um, uh, one year when Billy Crystal was hosting it, I was just uh, going to get to Billy. Okay. There was uh, uh, Jim Carrey did a movie playing where he played Andy Kaufman, mm -hmm. and uh, we Man figured on Man on the Moon. We yeah. thought that's a slam dunk. He's going to be not because it's serious and funny and mm -hmm. esoteric. And uh, we worked up all of this stuff that we were going to do that Billy was going to do, and then he wasn't nominated, and so we couldn't do any of it. It was like, you know, it was a heartbreaker because you just, you couldn't do it. it. It wouldn't be relevant. In fact, it would almost be mean. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, uh, and that happens a lot. So the bottom line is that you wind up having a month, maybe. Mm -hmm. uh, it used to be six weeks and then the cut condensed into a month where you, uh, you get to actually write everything. So how did, the, how did those... Two Billy Crystal shows happen that were just the most. Well, the two that we won for yeah. um, uh, the 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 first one uh, was that the one with the with the musical montage. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we yes we hadn't uh, we hadn't done the movie yet, but we did have the musical uh, musical montage in it. Uh, that was just it was a, a great show that got nominated. It was a, a hit, but uh, the second time we won, it was because. Um, of Jack Palance. Okay, now basically. you were back. That you were feeding Billy yeah. those lines. Of yeah. course you were. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, it was you know Jack Palance had been in City Slickers, mm -hmm. Billy's movie, and uh, it was the first award up. Whoopi presented it because she had won the year before in that category, and uh, and he got up on stage and decided he was going to show everybody how virile he was, and he started doing one arm push ups. That was the craziest but thing first, ever. First, it's, it's, nobody quite knew what he was doing backstage, and I'll tell you why. Because what nobody realizes, he came out and Billy had done some stuff about him in the monologue mm -hmm. because it was their picture. Right. And uh, the first thing that Jack said when he got up there was, uh, 
I crap bigger than Billy Crystal. <laughs> and the network censor, Mrs. Futterman, let it let it go through uh-huh. uh, because it was you know he she didn't want to bleep him. Right. And but we in backstage what is what what is what, who, what and so nobody was listening to anything else. And all of a sudden he was on the floor doing one arm push up. Holy shit! What's he up? What's he doing now? So we realized that whatever he was doing had to be commented on yes. uh, as the thing went along. Uh-huh. And so we started pitching jokes to Billy about the different things. And he came out and he started doing a joke and he got a huge laugh. And he came back and said, well, we got to run with this. So we took all of these things we were pitching and whatever we could work in a Jack Palance reference. I mean, there was a, a hook up to the space station and you know, so Jack Palance flew up and hooked up that. And there was there was... Uh, a number from um, Pocahontas, the wind, the the uh, uh, the color of the wind. Was that the color? No, there was something else. And uh, he, there were kids. Yeah. Oh, there were a lot of kids. I forget what the what the movie was, but it was it was somebody with like thirty kids on stage. And Billy said, "Jack Balance is the father of all those children." And it went on like that. And after a few of them, his Billy's manager came back and said, uh, "How many more of these are you going to do?" And, and he said, "Why is it not working?" He said, "Oh no, it's working. There's a pool in my row about him. I'd like to win." <laughs> is this David Steinberg? Uh, no, it Jack was, Rollins. It no. was uh, Buddy Mora. Okay, it was Buddy Mora. Steinberg was backstage writing with us. He was on the writing staff, and uh, it was me, Steinberg, Robert Wall. Who, oh, who Arliss, uh, oh, we, into, I, we had Robert we on had the Robert. show recently, he and talked about it. Was, it was us, it was, that one was just the four of us. And um, uh, so we, and we won, the following year we won the, uh, the Emmy again for the yes. next category, just because we tossed out the script and, and came up with stuff on the slot. And I have to say, with, with Billy, I think, that became a template for that show and for, in fact, all of those shows. I mean, now when there's a host, there's always people there waiting to see if is there something that we can, that we can use. Unfortunately, most hosts can't can pull it off the way they It's hard. It's, it, yeah. it's hard to pull it off. Although I did have a favorite of mine. Okay. It was a Tony Award show. Uh-huh. Hugh Jackman was hosting. Yeah. And it was another idea that was, uh, that was uh, insane. Um, we had... Uh, LL Cool J mm-hmm. was, uh, uh, still is, <laughs> a big star on CBS, mm-hmm. uh, NCIS, um, Los Angeles. And he was, uh, they, CBS wanted him on the show, even though he had like nothing to do with Broadway. Mm-hmm. They wanted him on. So we said, well, we'll put him with somebody who's very Broadway. And we mm-hmm. put him with Carol Channing. Again, <laughs> Carol. And, and they, the pairings are right. always fantastic. And so I said, well, they should wrap something together. <laughs> Because he started as a rapper, mm-hmm. and uh, so I wrote this thing that was like you know very kind of mild rap, mm-hmm. and uh, and Carol thought, she said, "Well, that's hilarious," uh, and then uh, she she didn't learn it, of course, um, and neither did he. And they came out to rehearse, mm-hmm. and she said, "Well, I can't see the prompter," mm-hmm. uh, and I said, "Well, put on your glasses," because she had these huge. Glasses, like yeah, kind of like that. Very Swifty Lazar. <laughs> yes, that's the joke. The, yeah. the peepers, they're fabulous. And uh, she looked, you know, very, very gangster. And, I remember her glasses. And uh, and she said, "Oh, I can see it now." <laughs> and so they they rehearsed it, and I said, "Well, it's hilarious." I said, "Do you have like any real big chunky jewelry you can wear?" Because she was going to wear a tuxedo, you know, mm-hmm. she liked to do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, she said, "You are." And. <laughs> So she came back that night with the glasses, 
and this bling that LL Cool J went, oh, well, all right. And they came out and they did it and it was hysterical. It was really funny. And, uh, and then there was a commercial after the award and Hugh Jackman came out and said, uh, this just in, Carol Channing has been arrested in a drive-by shooting. <laughs> which, was that, I, which your I, that was mine. Yes. I had given it to, when I watched, when I saw how it went over, and then I got a note from somebody who said, that's so stereotypical. It's not all rappers are not, leave me oh. alone, will you, with this? Please, let's get a few rappers and ask them. Anyway, so, but you know, there's always somebody. But so that was, uh, uh, yeah, you're right. A few people, he pulled it off, but uh, they all try to do it. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. So you know what it does? It keeps the audience uh, in, in the now. And, and it makes mm-hmm. you realize it's not canned. Right. It's happening live. And so little does that um, that it's great. That, I mean, that's one reason why people tune in. It keeps people on their toes. Yeah. I, yeah it, yes, I, I agree with that. It, was there anybody, you don't have to name names, but that was really painful to write one of those shows for that just couldn't deliver what you were... Yeah, I mean, not... I try to, to make them like a banter-free zone, but occasionally you have an idea mm-hmm. and you think maybe this could work. Mm-hmm. And Keanu Reeves was on mm-hmm. and I thought it'd be fun if he did the, the Bill and Ted character, mm-hmm. uh, which we should have had him with somebody else do it, with the, the other guy from Bill right. and Ted, Alex mm-hmm. Winter, I think is his name. And... Um, and he was game to do it, but this was not, you know, this is not his forte going out. I mean, he was he was in character, but it was out of context, and I felt bad. It was I said, this is, I I owe you something. I don't know what, but and and with like Johnny Depp, you know, the thing about a lot of these actors mm-hmm. is uh, they never work as themselves. They have no Johnny, no character. I mean, Billy Crystal. Works on stage every night live. Right. Bet Whoopi. These are all you know, comedians who work on stage. Mm-hmm. But uh, movie stars don't do that. They don't and have their own persona. They don't have persona. their own persona, and they don't even know. You know, people don't laugh when they're shooting because they'll ruin the take. Mm-hmm. So I mean, the, when you say cut, then you are, then the, the grips all laugh when right. they were applauded, which is great. Mm-hmm. But um, so it's difficult for them, I and mean, I felt bad. Like the, you know, Johnny Depp said, "I want to be funny." And, yeah, it was like, you don't need to be funny. You're Johnny Depp. <laughs> Just, you know. I mean, because he had done, I think he was nominated for, for playing Captain Jack Sparrow. He was actually very and, funny in and that. And so he was yeah. hilarious. And yes. he was doing Keith Richard mm-hmm. uh, as a pirate. He was great. And he was hysterical because mm-hmm. he's a great actor. And uh, But it was it was wrong to ask, to, to ask him to do anything like that. And, you know, it's it's not the worst thing in the world. But. So is that is it satisfying for what what you do so many things? Okay, so you're you've been an actor. You've done a Broadway musical. You've you've started in your own show. Yeah. You've uh, I was Hollywood Square. Okay, so let's talk about Hollywood Square. So okay, so getting so everybody can say that probably. But, no, so starting but one time was there for years and years. Oh God! So you started out as a writer, correct? I well, they asked me to be the head writer. Uh, this was the Whoopi iteration, mm-hmm. and uh, I said yes. And then Whoopi said, "You should host it." And she went to them and said, "He should host it." And of course, they they didn't want to piss her off that early, so uh, <laughs> they said, "Okay, we'll test him." So they tested me, and they said, you're not exactly what we're looking for in a host, but we'd like to put you in a square. We think you're, you're funny. And they put me next to Whoopi, and I think the idea was I would tame her. You know, or, 
but but they didn't realize, you know, as I, as I've said many times, they didn't realize that she's really this Jewish guy, and I'm really a black woman. <laughs> Which ask anybody who slept with me. <laughs> uh, uh, so we had a lot of fun, mm -hmm. and, but you know, there's no taming to be done. Uh, and as a result, I was on TV every night, you know, for like six years. And, and um, was that fabulous for it you? It was incredible, mm -hmm. I and mean, it made me sort of famous. And mm -hmm. the, the, everything that's happened after this is a result of hairspray happened because uh, I was on television every night, and mm -hmm. they, they became interested. I had to audition. I had to do all the, you know, all the real stuff. Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, it wouldn't have happened probably. Would, uh, they wouldn't have thought of me for that. So, how did your life change in that transition from going from the writer to this person that everybody's seeing on TV every night? It didn't really. I mean, because I, I didn't become that famous. You know, I didn't. I mean, when you, when you really, when huge real stardom hits you, it is something quite different. I mean, I mean, you know, when I met Barry Manilow, he was. Uh, playing piano for Bet, and he was mm -hmm. accompanying a lot of other people, mm -hmm. and we toured around the country and all that. And then his record came out the minute Mandy was mm -hmm. a hit, and mm -hmm. he was elevated to stardom. And his tours, he suddenly was a star, mm -hmm. and his life changed. He couldn't go out. To, I mean, he'd have to find a table in a restaurant that faced the wall, so they wearing a hat. Mm -hmm. I mean, that kind of stardom. Right. And, and I never had that kind of stardom. I mean, it's not. So did, so talk about what the star what was the stardom so it was getting a great table at a restaurant I'm Well sure. I mean it's, it, it's those kinds of perks happen mm -hmm. yeah but it's not I, I mean I don't have my own security you know, I mean that's how you know somebody is hmm, when they have their own security no, but I'm canvassing guess, every place they go I'm guessing that wherever you go people come up to you There's a lot I have the weird kind of stardom where I'll be standing at an airport mm -hmm. With a bunch of people giving, doing selfies and giving autographs, and somebody will walk by and say, "Who's he?" Really? It's that kind of stardom. Uh -huh. Yeah, sure. Because it's not that. It's not Brad Pitt. It's not mm -hmm. you know that all-encompassing sort of thing. That uh, when when Squares was on, mm -hmm. there was there were more people. You know who who were there because I was on TV every night, so right. there, there was more attention. But it's I mean. You know, it's and I've and I've managed to. I'm a gay icon, so you know, if I go the right part of town, I'm a big deal. <laughs> so, so speaking of that, Paul Lind. How, uh, how, yeah. So, how what was your relationship like with Paul? Uh, well, I wrote for him for years. I wrote for him. Uh, he was on the Donnie Marie show, which I was writing, mm -hmm. and uh, so I wrote a lot of his stuff on that, and then that graduated to a lot of television, a couple of television specials, mm -hmm. and then but squares at the beginning, the very first time. At the end of his tenure on Squares, mm -hmm. uh, I was not involved, but I was doing Donnie Marie and I was writing stuff for him. He would he would say, "Come with me to Squares. I haven't got shit." And <laughs> we'd write we'd write stuff in the car, but uh, he was um, tough to be friendly with because so. he he was a big drinker mm -hmm. and he would get very mean. Mm -hmm. On on one drink he was hilarious, and on two drinks it was like uh, you know. The Luftwaffe had just landed. Oh, it was. He was. Mm -hmm. It was. It was very difficult. He was. He was brilliant and funny, and he was unhappy mm. uh, because he wasn't the kind of star he wanted to be. He wanted to carry movies. He wanted. He saw Mel Brooks and Woody Allen become movie stars, right? And it made him crazy because mm. he, he'd come up with them in New York, mm -hmm. and. Uh, it just he didn't get. He was a flavor mm -hmm. that didn't carry 
the entire project. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to be much more than that. And so like when when Bye Bye Birdie came out, did he think like he was about to segue to that? Oh, I think so. I mm -hmm. think because uh, other people did. It, it's in television, yeah, and maybe not in movies. I mean, he thought maybe it would happen to him in movies. I mean, I wasn't around him then. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, I certainly watched watched him when he had he had a, two television series. He had there was the Paul Lynn show, mm -hmm. which opened like a house on fire, and then the ratings dropped every week because mm -hmm. he didn't. He, you know, he wasn't the guy to carry the show. He was mm -hmm. the you know, the wacky neighbor, mm -hmm. which he did on Bewitched, mm -hmm. and uh, they put him in a show called Temperatures Rising. He was a uh, uh, it became the new Temperatures Rising, mm -hmm. and he was a, a doctor, but it was more of an ensemble. That stuff just didn't work. It, it worked when he hosted a special mm -hmm. because it was a special. Mm -hmm. It was something he didn't usually do. Right. But he again, he was on TV every night on Squares, and so he was a big presence, mm -hmm. but he wasn't the presence he wanted to be. Mm -hmm. you know, he didn't want to just come on, do a joke, and leave. Has anybody hired you that you couldn't make funny? Oh, yeah. Engelbert Humperdinck. Oh. <laughs> Lovely man, but... Wanted to be funny, wanted to change, didn't really want to. Mm. I, I use him as an example because I can't think of of too many. I mean, you know, you're, if you're if you're not funny and, and you know it, clap your hands. <laughs> uh, most people know they they can't be. I mean, the hardest part is when they just need a little something, a little mm -hmm. a little something here and there, and uh, and that requires. Uh, knowing how to play it. A lot of people will, we discovered on squares, the biggest laughs would come from people you wouldn't expect to be funny. Um, they would say something that would be, they didn't know they were saying something funny and it was hilarious. And you can, Do you have an example of something like that? I'm trying to think, you can't, you can't. Like not the joke, but like. I'm trying to, the bot, you can't bot, well, like Garth Brooks or uh, uh -huh. Dionne Warwick, as, so I forget. It was just there was some kind of something very dry that she mm -hmm. said, and I can't, wish I could remember it. But it was uh, it was unexpected. Mm -hmm. um, Patty Labelle was very was like, and, and even she would say something very big. You know, mm -hmm. she would go big, um, and that was kind of funny. She would like to bluff Patty, and yeah. uh, um, oh, that's a, everybody gets the choice. Yeah, uh -huh. uh, you don't know the if you don't know the answer, uh -huh. you uh, you bluff. And uh, or she would sometimes she would know. So the that, answer. that wasn't like pre. No, the no we, because if the if the contestant felt that the, uh, the that the star knew the answer, they would agree with them every time mm -hmm. because that's how the game was played. If right. you agreed, and, you know, then they you won. So uh, they were told we and we didn't know the answer. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it, I remember when Little Richard came in, mm -hmm. and uh, I was I sat down with him to review the questions. Mm -hmm. And he said, I don't know nothing. <laughs> said, You're going to have to give it all to me. And I said, well, you know, I can't do that. And he said, well, then, you know, so I said, but here are the bluffs. We give them bluffs. Uh, he said, this could be the answer. You know, we'd give people jokes who we thought could handle jokes. And then uh -huh. we'd give people bluffs so that they would have something to say that the contestant could agree with or disagree with. I see. And, but uh, you wouldn't give them a right answer. I, I wasn't allowed to, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, if he knew it, that was something else. But and so, uh, so you and Whoopi, how did that relationship start? Uh, uh, you know, I'm trying to remember. I, I she did her one woman show. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a showcase I was brought to. 
because Mike Nichols was interested in her mm -hmm. and he um, brought her out here to do a showcase, I believe, uh, for Steven Spielberg for The Color Purple. Mm -hmm. And it was in the belly room at the um, comedy store, which mm -hmm. is upstairs, the little room. And, uh, and I was part of the audience. And uh, she was brilliant. I mm -hmm. thought she was amazing. And I met her afterwards. And she knew who I was mm -hmm. because she follows everything. And mm -hmm. she knew that I'd work with Bette. Mm -hmm. And she was, uh, you know, wanted to get, I mean, she wrote all of her own stuff at mm -hmm. that point. And then later on, as she, what happens to a lot of people is they write when nobody wants them. And then they become successful, and everybody wants them, and, and they, they don't have write. they don't have time to mm, write right. because they are, you know, they they're nursing their brand, right? And so there's so much to do. There are interviews, there are fashion layouts, there, are, you know, there's mm -hmm. this, there's that, and so there's no time to actually write the kind of stuff that got them where they are. Mm -hmm. So that's when they bring on a collaborator, and I've, I've been brought on by a lot of people in those circumstances, and that so it started with then shortly after that actually stuff but uh it was most of the stuff that i wrote with whoopi uh is um for site specific to host this thing to mm -hmm. make an appearance at that thing when she actually does her stand-up that's really all her that's mm -hmm. her observing stuff i mean she might run something by me but mm -hmm. that's all her mm -hmm. and so with bet how mm -hmm. did the uh had the johnny carson thing uh, had you guys had well, that happen? Uh, when uh, she agreed to be on the last show that he was going to have guests on, it was going to be her and Robin. Mm -hmm. um, uh, she said, "I want this to be like she had done. I think thirty-four appearances on Carson early before anybody knew her mm -hmm. when he was still in New York, mm -hmm. and then she continued to do stuff uh, out here. So she said, "I want this to be like one of those early Carson things mm -hmm. um, where uh, I would." come on and uh, sing a song and then talk and then sing another song. And, uh, and Mark Shaman said, that's exactly what we should do. And, and Mark sat down, we, the three of us sat down mm -hmm. and came up with, uh, well, she was, she was going to do a number. She, was, she did Miss Otis Regrets, which mm -hmm. was from her record, and that Mark had arranged. And, um, and then she was going to sit with the panel and, and sing the special material you made me you made me watch you, mm -hmm. and then finished the thing with uh, uh, one for the road. But we constructed this twenty-minute segment that was going to be a classic sort of Bette Midler, Johnny Carson segment, and uh, and it just worked like crazy. It oh, just God, worked like, it like crazy. And, you know, the, the the funny thing was that the on those shows you know, that the headliner comes out first. And then the next right, person right. is not quite as big, and mm -hmm. usually the musical act is at the end. Mm -hmm. And they said, "Well, it's it's uh, it's Robin, and you, and uh, Robin's going to come out first. He says, "Oh well," she said, "Do I want to follow Robin?" Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, and we said, "Yeah, you should. Yeah, uh, absolutely follow. I mean, the two of you. Yes, absolutely." And. Um, and so she did, yeah. But it was you know, funny because stars know themselves. They know the protocols and they, they get all of that's how they become stars, how mm -hmm. they stay stars. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was, uh, it wound up being brilliant. She won an Emmy for it. Didn't you too? Uh, no. She oh. won the Emmy for Variety Performance, beating Billy Crystal for one of the Oscar ah! shows that I worked on. Uh -huh. <laughs> And he kept saying, I mean, it was a great bit, but... You know. <laughs> Did you have to give it to him? Um, they don't give that award anymore because they, they, 
they found themselves with one of those weird categories where well, you'd have two things like that pitched mm-hmm. against, or Pavarotti and Michael Jackson. <laughs> yeah, know, I mean, yeah. it's like, who do you give this? Say they eliminated the thing altogether because it, it was beginning to seem a little silly. So how about writing for Robin Williams? I've read a quote where you said something like, you didn't write for him, you wrote at him or something. I did. Yeah. I said you would write me to or throw it in the cage. <laughs> so, so. Uh, it was, it was, that was very much having conversations and writing things down. And then he would take stuff and go do it. He'd workshop it someplace and embroider and do stuff and come back. And, and a lot of it also was, was site-specific for different shows and uh, spe- specific things. Uh, and it was uh, wonderful because he was hilariously funny. Obviously, I mean, this is not news, mm-hmm. but uh, he was creative and uh, and nuts and uh, and a sweet, kind guy. I mean, I was mad about him. Mm-hmm. And fun to collaborate with. Yes, tremendous. Yeah, absolutely. So, who were some of the people besides Bet and Robin and and, uh, and, and Kay and and Whoopi? Who else have you loved working Nathan with? Nathan Lane. Ah. He's brilliant and wonderful, funny, warm, and does the best panel. You know, I mean, if you book him on a talk show, mm-hmm. you're getting... It's like, with, like Billy. I mean, you're getting a performance. Mm-hmm. Or Marty Short. You're getting a performance. Uh, they don't mess around. Mm-hmm. They are old-school vaudevillians, and I say that with love and respect and awe, mm-hmm. because to me, that's, that's it. I love that stuff, and it kills me that people aren't coming up who have that training ground, mm-hmm. or even have that the impetus to do that, because you can get so rich and so famous without doing everything, by just doing one thing that you focus on. The idea of, of coming out and, and being a full-value entertainer mm-hmm. uh, has fallen into disrepute, but you don't need to do it. So... Uh, I, I cherish the ones who are, who, who are who are doing it, and I don't I don't know who they are. Who who among the youngins mm-hmm. uh, is is doing that kind of stuff? Uh, I don't know who, who. Do you write for any young? No, I don't think I do. No, uh-huh. uh, I'm writing for me now because I I go off and do shows and tell stories and things. But and I'm writing I'm writing plays and musicals and focusing on that now. There isn't, you know, that much variety of television. It's it's award shows, which I've done a lot of. Mm-hmm. And uh, are you over that? Been there, done that? No, I mean, if somebody came back to me and said we'd like you to do to do this or that, when well, I still do some non-televised ones, the Producers Guild Awards, which is fun to write because everybody shows up because it's on the the path to the Oscars. But it's weird, you know, when you've raced in the Kentucky Derby to have to be back to racing at Keeneland. They could really use you. <laughs> They could really Well, use I'm available. Hello. Um, so I don't know. I don't even know who's writing it. I mean, I never. They don't publicize that anymore, really. Mm-hmm. When they were a host, what happened was, there there were a lot of television hosts, and they bring a dozen people with them from their own show, and there's no right. money left in the budget to hire writers, so they they hire one person who like to cover all the stuff that the writers for the the host doesn't. But the last two years, they've gone hostless, so. And I don't even know who's, who's written that. And so, okay, so how about um, the Broadway experience? What was, how does that, was that fulfilling that childhood dream oh, to absolutely. be that Being on opening Broadway? on Broadway? Oh, yeah. I mean, that first it, night, uh, crazy? It was. The funny part was uh, I had done the role for a year on the road, so I knew it backwards and forwards, and five other people 
who had done the national tour with me came along. Mm -hmm. uh, we all replaced people who had been on Broadway doing it for two, two years mm -hmm. at that point they had been running. Um, so uh, it was fun to like, you know, freshen it up for them. And but so it wasn't like I was doing a new show right. or that there was a, a, like an audience full of critics waiting. And mm -hmm. so it, I, it wasn't that experience. Mm -hmm. I've had that as a writer. Mm -hmm. I haven't had that as a, as a performer. Um, but it was you know just great. Well, here I am. I'm did your parents live to see that? My mother did. Mm -hmm. My mother did. My father had never. So my uh, I was writing Donnie and Marie when he died. Mm -hmm. So I was making real money, which mm -hmm. impressed him, mm -hmm. because he, he, I mean, the, one of the last conversations we had was he said, I can't do your taxes anymore. You, you're making too much money. Oh, nice. You, you've got to get, you have to bring professionals in wow. who know show business. Wow. And I thought, okay, well, I've made it. Mm -hmm. That's really fine. Yeah, and that was one of the last conversations we had, mm. so... And it must have thrilled your mother to see you on Broadway. So. Oh, she, oh. She, but every you know she hasn't she never had grandchildren, so mm -hmm. this was like her grandchild. You know, mm -hmm. she would come in and they would all show pictures of their grandchildren. And she, so pictures of me meeting Princess Diana. <laughs> oh, so you met Princess Diana? What I did. That? I what did. was that like? She was so um, lovely. It was uh, well. I met her a couple of times, but but. Uh, Informally, because I had, oh, really? uh, yeah, I had, I had friends who were, were friends with Pamela Stevenson, mm -hmm. who was uh, an actress who was I was I am friendly with. Is married to Billy Connolly, mm -hmm. but at the time she, well, at the time she was married to Billy Connolly, and uh, she and, the, and and Diana were very friendly, mm -hmm. and and um, uh, Ferguson, Sarah Ferguson, they were all mm -hmm. they they were they were their famous stuff about them running around London. Uh, they surprised a bachelor party, somebody's bachelor party with uh, maybe Andrews, <laughs> addressed as police, trying to break it up. I think. Um, anyway, I met so I, I met her through Pam, mm -hmm. and uh, and we had a, a bunch of phone conversations because you know uh, uh, she was like Elizabeth Taylor. There would have been no AIDS fundraising movement in the UK without her. Mm -hmm. The same as Elizabeth in this country. Elizabeth mm -hmm. took it on mm -hmm. and everybody, you know, took her call. I, I joke in my, my show that everybody takes her call, even the Pope takes a call from Elizabeth, if only to discuss jewelry. <laughs> but uh, Diana was like that and, mm -hmm. and so she kept the, the AIDS thing going. She mm -hmm. started it and kept it going and at one point we were trying to get her over here to uh, to be on the Commitment to Life show, which was a big annual benefit mm -hmm. uh, that Elizabeth was behind. And um, she called me and she said, they won't let me come. <laughs> you know, they. Mm -hmm. So you know, that kind of encapsulated it, it all. Uh, she, I guess she could do it in her own country, but mm -hmm. they didn't want her to go to another country and do it, except I think she did go to Africa and do some stuff. Anyway, so uh, so I, I I knew her. I didn't know her, mm -hmm. you know. So who? So were there any any thrilling people that you've gotten to spend time with because of what you do? Sure. That, so like, you, Vicky so, Abelson. So, so so seriously. The game changer. So so who's who's thrilled you? I mean, I know. All right, your close friends, Bet and Billy, oh. and so who's thrilled you to meet and. Who were you a star That's fan? Right. Who were you a fan uh, you know, boy for? I, the truth, the, truth well, uh, the, the ones I came up with, mm -hmm. 
uh, uh, you know, were a different stripe. I right. mean, but um, the ones who I idolized, oddly enough, they were not necessarily as, uh, they were, weren't thrilling because when you meet famous people mm. uh, who've been famous for a, a long time and mm. you have an idea of who they are mm -hmm. and you want them to be that and they turn out not to be that. Sometimes they they are wonderful in their own right, mm -hmm. and uh, but sometimes they are just disappointing because they are uh, you you may catch them at a bad time, but mm -hmm. they are not that person. And of course, that person that you imagine them to be is an amalgam of all the roles you've seen them play, mm -hmm. or the act that they've done on stage, mm -hmm. or the TV show that they've hosted, mm -hmm. or you know any of that stuff. So they were more disappointing, although. I was awestruck by them. I was still awestruck by them, but uh, but not in not in the way that I expected. Has I anybody be. like exceeded your expectations? Like maybe a B star that ended up being just a fabulous somebody that you adored? That's a good question. Um, yeah, uh, but they were. I mean, they remained B stars. So yeah, but that doesn't matter. You know. T well, I mean, you know, if I talk about them, it's like. Oh, people going, they're going to think, oh, I'm a bee. Kathleen Freeman? <laughs> Who's Kathleen Freeman? You know, so, mm -hmm. um, oh, or if they're still watching, yeah, I mean, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there are, sure, there are a lot of people who, uh, a, lot, a lot of the, the, you know, the real pros, like, mm -hmm. were fascinating to, to are, and are still fascinating to spend time with because they've been around and, um, and I appreciate what they've done. How about Johnny? What was your blip? Did Johnny, you, yeah, yeah, he was always lovely to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think he was a he was a driven and angry guy, and I, I don't know why. I just think that there, were, you know, I didn't know him that well. I just, but I, uh, um, in in 1980, I was on the Midnight Special. I was a regular on the Midnight Special. Wow! It became uh, video had come in, and mm -hmm. people wouldn't come up, come out, and be, do their songs live anymore uh, they would send you the video of their new song and so that it was hard to book the show mm -hmm. and NBC wanted a lot of live performances mm -hmm. they wanted to have a live feeling right so uh, Bert Sugarman who was producing it at the time with, with Dick Ebersole had uh, the idea to do like what Bill Maher does what Bill Maher used to do called Politically Incorrect and it was like a, a dorm room mm -hmm. set, mm -hmm. and uh, it was people having a conversation about what had gone on that week in pop culture. Mm -hmm. And I was one. I was on the first one, and David Steinberg, the other David Steinberg, mm -hmm. the comedian, mm -hmm. uh, hosted it. And when I came in the second week, he had quit, and I was the host. Oh. And so it was an episode that ran for two years, but it was on at one o'clock in the morning, mm -hmm. uh, and. Uh, and I had a small following that knew me, and among that following was Johnny Carson. Wow. And I would go to NBC, wow. and he would come down the hall, and he would say, hey, I love that thing you said about so-and-so and so-and-so. -and -so. Wow. And I thought, holy shit, Johnny Carson's up at one o'clock in the morning watching this thing. Wow. And, uh, and I said, well, I, sh I should really be on your show. And he said, oh, you're too hip for my show. <laughs> Which I thought, even if he meant it, <laughs> was a great compliment. Absolutely. And then, of course, he knew I was involved with Bet, and on the last show, he was around. Uh, although we didn't, we, we didn't want him to see anything. We wanted him to be surprised. Mm -hmm. But he came in, of course, to talk at the beginning. And he had been you know, Bet's biggest booster, mm -hmm. and uh, um, he brought her to Vegas, 
she, where she opened for him. It was not oh, a success. Yeah. Really? Oh yeah, it was. It was great of him to do it, mm -hmm. but uh, it was not a success because yeah, his yeah. because his audience was really square. Mm. I mean, he used to have Phyllis McGuire mm. open for him. I mean, he had you know those kinds of singers, and here she was. You know, she was much rawer in those days. Body, body, and uh, and the material was uh, different, and mm -hmm. a lot of it, the treatment of old stuff. Uh, uh, was different, and it, it, she didn't, you know, she didn't hit anything on the head. She did it all because it was, uh, you know, she would find an old ballad and do a whole new take on it, mm -hmm. and that, that scared his audience. <laughs> they wanted to just have somebody come out and be conventionally beautiful, and you know, and sing those those, those beautiful songs. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but he, you know, he believed in her, and he brought her. He brought her in there, and we had a famous story about pulling up to the Sahara Hotel, and the marquee was going up, and it it uh, said Johnny Carson, Betty Milder, <laughs> <laughs> and she got out and began climbing up the ladder, going, "It's Midler, and there's no Y in the Betty," and, it, <laughs> and so it was like that. She, she's had an interesting uh, record in Vegas. Really. Well, that's, then we, she came back as a headliner at Caesar's Palace. They were that was a shocker for them too, because we were doing a, we a rock and roll kind of show tour, mm -hmm. and then when she did her show again at Caesar's, uh, the residency, which was the big expensive show, the the market crashed, and people stopped spending lots of money on shows in Vegas, mm -hmm. and all the high end things began cutting back shows and stuff. So Although now it's like everybody's well, got this a residency. Is 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Ten, that was 10 years Melanie ago. Melanie Taylor said to say hello. To yeah, you. she was a hard lot. Yeah, she Sure, absolutely. Um, so, yeah. so, what excites you the most now? Well. <laughs> Besides that what guy. Can I, what can I say <laughs> without getting into the Me Too quicksand? <laughs> So difficult. Uh, what excites me now? <laughs> I mean, old... do you still enjoy writing? For, is, is it still oh, fun yeah. to write for people? It is fun to write for people. Yeah, uh, yeah. Not all of them, but it's you know some of them is like uh, you know a chore. But <laughs> yeah, but it's money. You, do, you get a when you, but yeah, when you do these big shows, it's like uh, you know it, it's, mm. it's good and bad. I mean, mm -hmm. there are people who are fun, and there are people who just want to get the job done. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think uh, what excites me as an old fart, I love streaming. I love to sit and never leave the house and watch everything. What That's do you watch? What, uh, everything. Okay. I, I mean, favorite things. What well, I'm, I'm, I have my own. T I love procedurals. I love all of those detective things. I love all the British detective stuff. I mean, I, I'm, uh, I'm always hard pressed to come up with something. Beca the because fall. I, Did you I watch the fall? The fall. With um, uh, I took one the other day, but that's another story. Jamie Jordan and Jillian um, uh, Anderson. No, it's my favorite. See, Binge that's it. what happened. Yeah, uh, who's 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 streaming the thing? Uh, Netflix. Oh, I saw well, it on Netflix. on Netflix. It's phenomenal. And um, now I'm gonna think. I'm gonna forget the name of of the ones that I loved. Um, but yeah, I watch all There's those million, Irish so, ones so and uh, yeah. all of those. Roger. Broadchurch was great. Well, I love yeah. Broadchurch. I even watched the uh, English, the American version. What's the American version? The American version was not called Broadchurch, but it was a name like that. It was. Uh, huh. It was on Fox, and they changed the ending. 
Um, so somebody else did it. Huh. But, uh, and I can't remember who it was. I mean, it didn't make a ripple, but uh, uh, I, I watched it to see what they did. Broadchurch was brilliant. Yeah. And I love Olivia Coleman and David yes. uh, Tennant. Mm -hmm. um, my favorite, actually, is a show called Vera with Brenda Bleffen, who you will probably remember. If I anything. do remember. Blen Brenda Bleffen was in, uh, nominated for an Oscar for a picture called Secrets and Lies, uh -huh. where she discovers that... Uh, I got her sister is black, I think. Is that, uh -huh. or, that sounds right. Marianne Jean-Baptiste is, mm -hmm. uh, is the other character. And she plays a homicide detective in, uh, in Newcastle. And um, they're a heavy accent. Mm -hmm. but I have to put the subtitles she on is, when I She watch is, uh, for reasons that you discover in the show, mm -hmm. she is her job. Mm -hmm. And doesn't get along well with people, but she's brilliant. Mm -hmm. And it's that juxtaposition of knowing what she's doing and, and having to actually deal with people who don't know what they're doing mm -hmm. and this prickly character that she plays it, it's brilliantly written Just I, brilliantly I don't written. think I've I, and I Grantchester's yeah. another one that's about a, a vicar who's fallen in England in the 50s are these Netflix shows? Uh, probably you can yeah. get them on Netflix mm -hmm. they're all PBS and mm -hmm. they're all off of BBC and ITV and mm -hmm. th those are the British shows but they're, they're American ones that I like to. Oh, but what I meant, not was what you're binging, what are you loving to do for you? Oh, for, for your, me. Like, are you in, do you love to get up and put yourself up on the stage? Is that... Is that... Yeah, I do, but uh, it's hard to keep coming up with new material. And mm -hmm. then, you know, it's hard to keep telling the same stories. And, uh, uh, and I don't, you know, I don't do it regularly. So um, now seen, I'm winding down because I'm trying to get a, a, a play going that I would do. That would uh, that would satisfy that urge. What kind? What? Uh... It's a play about the, my first Oscar show that I wrote, and the, and the crazy guy named Alan Carr who produced it, who was a fabulous flamboyant character to mm -hmm. play, and uh, I wrote it for Nathan Lane, and Nathan said, "It's funny, but you should do it." And I like when they say that. So. Yeah. Because even I mean, he liked it, but uh -huh. uh, it's not the kind of thing that he's doing. He's kind of you know. Morphing. He's yeah. He's, he's gotten, evolving. He's evolving. He's gotten more multi-layered. I mean, he does when he goes on talk shows. He does the the comedy, mm -hmm. but uh, he wants to do to explore different things. Do you were you a kid who remembered joke jokes? Was were joke jokes like a thing? You mean for you? Like did you like could you like sit and tell joke ones you didn't write? Oh, like classic yeah, sure. joke jokes. Yes, of course. So, do you have a favorite joke joke? God. A favorite? No. No. <laughs> I'm terrible. You know, I, I I used to interview people, and I would I would ask these questions, <laughs> and I never I would I get it I get I just I never cultivated the answers to a favorite, and, and sometimes I'll well think, a favorite's not I'll important. Think it's, it's a favorite, and then I'll realize, well, it's totally inappropriate. You can't do that. You can do it. You, you can, can do anything say. inappropriate here. No, There's no, no because yeah, you're, we're, they're, we're totally inappropriate. Yeah, but the people who are watching are. No, but they, they jump they, on you and. No, they don't jump on us here. Pete, is it, do we have any questions for Bruce? Yeah, we have a few. Go. Okay, let's have some questions. We have for a Bruce. comment first. Ah, okay. okay. Uh, let's see. According to your shirt, you were missing an L, so I tuned in. <laughs> I can't get enough of the stories. Amazing. Wow, thank you so much. And then uh, Rocky Durant says, Hey Bruce, when will you write your memoirs? <laughs> the minute I want to stop working. <laughs> you know, I would say, I like, I would write my memoirs, but I, if I tell the truth, I'll say, you know, the, I'll, I'll be missing kneecaps. Or I think, I think they'll say, gee, he was so funny and sweet. Who knew he was such a cunt? <laughs> 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 if I tell the truth. <laughs> 
Uh, let's see, Norma Jacobitz. To Vicky, will you try to get the Guinness record for closest hairdo to Bruce? <laughs> I think I've already won that. Uh, no uh, let's see. I think I'm there. We look like people who were in that Swedish picture. Need some more. <laughs> you know, we were, held, we were in a cult somewhere. This is brand new for me, the blonde, blonde, blonde. And a cult, a cult somewhere outside the town of Smorgasbord. <laughs> You need red glasses. That's what I need the red glasses. Right. Everybody does. Here's another one from Norm to Bruce. Uh, do you like the fact that the Oscars will not have a host? Um, no, I don't like the fact that I, I think that uh, it's interesting. Every, last year, everyone thought uh, in the industry, mm-hmm. people loved that there was no host. Um, they thought, oh, this is they moved along, and didn't that, and and people who were not in the industry missed it. They said, we like having the guy up there, the girl up there, who's funny and guides us through all this, and there's a reference point, and and I think they they missed that because there are too many award shows, and that one is like, okay, I'm there's the Oscar host, this is the king of show business for one night, and uh, I feel the same way. I, I think that uh, it it misses something when it doesn't have that flavor. They got a ratings bump last year uh, because there was so much controversy. There was Me Too stuff. There was uh, Kevin Hart. There was not having a host. How is it going to turn out? What's going to happen? But of course, they also got a ratings bump, as they always do in years where there are big hit movies. Last year, there was Bohemian Rhapsody, Star is Born, um, there was another hundred million dollar movie that was uh, that was in contention. I mean, and this year actually they have the same thing going on because 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, mm-hmm. Joker. These are oh all, yeah yeah yeah. These are all hundred million dollar movies. Absolutely. And uh, so they might benefit from that. Whenever there there are big movies, mm-hmm. that's when the ratings are high. The highest ratings in the modern era were mm. the year of Titanic because Titanic. Mm-hmm. Until the Avatar came along, Titanic was the. the so it's not the host that's going to get people to tune in. To a degree, I mean, I mean you when might Billy get Crystal a, was doing you it, might get a, you might get a few points mm-hmm. by having somebody, uh, but I, I don't I don't think that that I don't think that that's the case. Mm-hmm. I, I think that. Uh, well, um, okay, so what do you think of the Grammy Awards? So it it started out so serious because of the whole Kobe thing. So yeah. how how did how do you like it wasn't, it was wasn't funny. It's never funny because it's, they they gave up having a host because uh, they want to have more music. They gave up giving a lot of awards. But they yeah, give, they like, gave they most give maybe right. twelve awards mm-hmm. in three hours because they want to have the music. And what's interesting to me is well, how is it different when you? I'm sorry, finish your sentence. What's interesting to me yeah. is that the ratings went down a little bit, mm-hmm. and that's probably because the music that's on the Grammy show is mm-hmm. not. Ref- reflective of the audience that watches the Grammy show. Interesting. I think a lot of people who like Billie Eilish and like Lizzo and like a lot of those acts mm-hmm. uh, are not tuned into the music. I mean, are, are not, not TV... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're not... They're, a lot of the people who are watching the Grammy show are not interested in those people which are who are the big people in music right now right uh, there's a dichotomy there and I think it's been going on for a few years. Mm-hmm. I think having a host help that over help people over that hump when they had somebody like Ellen uh, who they liked I mean LL Cool J is a great guy he's not a great host I mean, Alicia is uh, um, fascinating because she's a, she's a big star mm-hmm. and she brings her own 
energy and she turns the whole thing into kind of a of a love thing she's done it whenever she's hosted it mm -hmm. but uh she is i think more uh accessible than the people who are giving the awards to yeah. I, I mean they have a unique problem so when you did the grammys who, music who was business. hosting uh, Billy, Gary Shandling, oh. um, Whoopi, Rosie. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm trying to think of. I wonder why they stopped because they wanted more music. Yeah. They stopped with those kind of posts because they wanted. Well, more because music. the takeaway was always wasn't it fabulous. They had they had Neil Young and the Jackson Five doing a mashup. Or, <laughs> you know, I mean, or they did a tribute <laughs> to Sly Stone, and they had. Uh, Joan Sutherland sing something. I mean, it was that, you know, the mm -hmm. stuff that Ken Ehrlich does. And uh, so it became famous for that, for mm -hmm. those moments. And uh, so they had to let the air out of the show so there would be more moments. Mm -hmm. And they discovered when you give like 84 awards, which mm -hmm. is what the Grammys do, uh, you you can narrow it down to the most popular things for the the audience at home and give all the others off the air and those people win their Grammys anyway, and I think it's they've kind of gotten used to that because it's a chance for more people to perform. Yeah, but it's kind of terrible, like people winning some really big awards or doing it in this little room where nobody's getting to watch. Uh, well, no, I but, agree because I mean any category that I'd be involved in, you know, <laughs> would be in the little room in the thing. Although they they uh, they I guess they did they did like they did. Um, not they did spoke comedy album they did on the show they and did. Chappelle was not there, mm -hmm. but uh, spoken word I think they it, didn't do they didn't do Michelle, Michelle Obama yeah won. that would have been nice to see Michelle though. I don't think she was going to sit there in the audience <laughs> I don't know they it, she was on last year that's the other thing mm -hmm. she was a big highlight of last mm -hmm. year so because um, it was the women's year last mm -hmm. year so uh, I guess I'm sure that's why she wasn't back. How about writing for the Tonys? Um, I loved it. I've done it like seven times. And so, uh, and who's hosted when you've done the Tonys? Uh, Hugh Jackman twice, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, Rosie, Nathan. Mm -hmm. um, one year it was uh, uh, nobody. We did it. Actually, there was one year there was a no host year. I think one year was Glenn Close, so, Nathan, and Gregory Hines. Okay, so you're writing that banter between the two people that are standing up there who are totally bizarrely paired. I, I try and make it a banter-free zone. When so, when, I do. I mean, a lot of the shows don't. It, it, to me, it almost never banter. works. It doesn't uh, work. It's hard. They come on, and, and also, there are people who aren't necessarily funny. And even if they are funny, they're, they're awkward. awkward doing whatever. Yes. I, I try to just give them something to say about the category that mm -hmm. may be mildly amusing. I don't know. <laughs> uh, it, the examples are all different. If you have funny people or it's a funny category, then you can... You can have a good time with it, mm -hmm. and the others you just kind of breeze through. You give them something, something sort of generic to say because people are just looking at them anyway. And it's a big mistake when they try to make these unfunny people funny, and they pair these very strange people together and give them banter. And it's yeah, yeah. It's, I always thought the Grammys are weird that way because they they still do that, and uh, it's strange because a lot of them are like from. Two different worlds of music, right? And uh, and they're you know they're still they're, they're like they don't relate to each other at all. Yeah, they, it did happen. Except they have like mutual respect, you know. But uh, I thought of the show that I did. Have you seen Happy Family? No. Okay. I haven't. Um, I have I, I have you seen it, you guys? Mm -hmm. I I cannot recommend if you like procedurals. Wow. It's 
I prefer it to broad. It, it's unbelievable. It's great. All right. It's great. Donald Lowe well, recommended that to me. So, um, Pete, we have any more questions? We do. Bruce, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Rocky Duran. Tell us about B. Arthur in the Star Wars holiday special. Oh, I special. can't do that. That's a story I'm gonna. I do in my show. I don't want. Uh, I don't want to give it away here. Don't give but it. Away. Don't you. give it for nothing. No. Well, that's all. I'll give it away. <laughs> um, I somebody um, said that you told the best cat joke, so I went and found it. Online oh, that's today. online. Yeah. Oh, you know. It's amazing because I thought, well, it's online. I can't do it live. And people began requesting it. Oh, yeah. Do the cat joke. And uh, I said to Bet, I, I have a hit. <laughs> you do have a hit. Now I know how you feel when you have to come out and sing The Rose every night. <laughs> it's got like a gazillion said, hits yeah. on it. Yeah. I said, it's, they, they're not unhappy. <laughs> they're, they want me to do it. And so it's hysterical. Now I know how singers feel when they... Of course, sometimes singers have not got to sing that many. I mean, Bet doesn't have any hits like that. Well, maybe from a distance. I don't know. <laughs> do you get Do you get sick of doing it, or do you like to do it? The cat joke. Oh, it's fun to do. I haven't done it in a while, but. Uh, Will you uh, do it? Oh no! I have to. You know, I seriously. It's one of those jokes where you have to remember the structure. And yes. If you If you screw it up, then it's like. All right. I so will. I'm sorry. You can That's okay. you can find it on YouTube. It's fantastic. Sure. All you have to do is is Google in. Bruce Lynch cat joke. It'll, it it'll up. show up. It's pretty fabulous. So, so you're writing a play. You're writing a yeah, play. Yeah, I'm writing. I'm writing a play. I'm writing a play. I'll, I'll, I will do one joke, but that's about a favorite joke. I have a current a current favorite joke. Okay, it's good. Been a favorite for a little while, and so and I think we should close with this. We're gonna close. All right. Uh, it's. Uh, I was talking. It started out some time ago. I was talking about uh, San Francisco being a town where, a foodie town, mm -hmm. you know, where there are lots, the, uh, people are so food-centric, mm -hmm. and they know everything, and they know the difference between a garbanzo bean and a chickpea. <laughs> and the difference between a garbanzo bean and a chickpea is Donald Trump has never had a garbanzo bean on his face. <laughs> That's why I love it. It takes a moment. They, oh, and there's kind of a laugh, and then all of a sudden there's a roar. They all get it at the same moment. Really? Because I had a hesitation. Is that what always happens? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And on that note... Bruce, thank you so much for doing this. I have, um, I, I have to... Wow, thank you. I'm going to go I'm gonna go to L. Oh, one, all right, so one more question. Yeah. Why always a t-shirt with, with, with stuff on it? Uh, you know, because I, 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 my mother made me dress up and I hated it and mm. I was never comfortable in real clothing. And so I began, I affected t-shirts and it became my brand, my trademark. Mm -hmm. And so now I just, that's it. I have thousands of them. And people probably send them to you. They stuff. do. And some, some you can wear and some are like too offensive and there are websites all over that make great shirts, but you, you can't wear them in some places because you would be knifed. Mm. And, um, uh, but I, I found this one sometimes. It just, it, it's pretty fantastic. I mean, it's like, you know, the yeah. keyboard for him. It was a pretty fantastic wow. day. So um, thank you so much. Thank, thank you, Bruce. Thanks. And we'll, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.